Hello, welcome to Moms Changing the World. This is your host, Akua Walker, Child Development Nurse Practitioner and CEO, Chief Encouragement Officer, introducing the new podcast, which is the place for moms to find encouragement, hope, and inspiration, where we're supporting moms in the trenches of motherhood. You will receive practical tips and strategies to address the developmental needs of your children with a positive parenting perspective in mind. Here at Moms Changing the World, we are moms on the journey of changing the world, one child at a time, one day at a time. I kind of follow that same motto. So my theme for my classroom is Taylor's Tiny Kingdom. And so I call them kings and queens. So every morning we do our morning mantra and I tell them that they are kings. You are beautiful. You are intelligent. You are smart. You are amazing. And to go through all these things. So I really want to build them up as people. Like I said, while they're young, because I can catch them while they're young, that they know they can make a difference in this world. Then when they're 13, 14, 15, 16, they'll remember that, well, rewind. At the end of the, the thing, I tell them, even if the whole world tries to tell you different, they'll say, you'll never believe it. So I said, someone calls you ugly, what are you going to say? I'll never believe it. Someone calls you stupid, what are you going to say? I'll never believe it. Because if I can catch them while they're young, then they can know that they have a difference, that they can make a difference, despite of going home to no food, despite of, you know, mom working four and five jobs just to keep lights on in the house, despite of... You know, wearing the same clothes every day. I also teach them the same time that we are a family. And so if little Susie comes to school the next day in clothes, we don't laugh at her. We offer her our coat. So we offer her, you know, our extra whatever that we have. We don't tease anyone. We are a family in this room. And so no one is better than the next person. And so I really just instill just that family mindset, even in my classroom. Hello. Welcome to Moms Changing the World. This is your host, Akua Walker, Child Development Nurse Practitioner and CEO, Chief Encouragement Officer. Very excited to bring to you another interview with another mom who's changing the world in some really beautiful ways. But before I get into introducing the guest, I'd like to start off with an African proverb that kind of lends itself as a theme to the work that we'll be talking about today. Life is like a shadow and a mist. It passes by and is no more. Meaning, you know, life is really short, reminding us that you only live once and that life is precious and we really can't take any moments of our life for granted. And so I like to remember that in the, even the theme of our show, that we change the world one child at a time, one day at a time, because all we have really is today to make that impact that we want on the children in our lives. So with that, I am very excited to introduce Shandria Taylor. Shandria is a kindergarten teacher in St. Louis, Missouri. She has a bachelor's degree in elementary education and a master's degree in human services. She is founder and CEO of Like a Rose Incorporated. She is the mother of four girls, Rylan, Jacelyn, Adeline, and Eden. And she is also a dancer, a pianist, and a writer. She has published one chapter book and two children's books, which I'll make sure she talks to us about today. 
And since her daughter, Adeline Rose, was born sleeping on November 1st, 2018, Chandria is now focused on raising awareness on stillbirth and infant loss, along with mental health that comes along with it. She now speaks for the grieving mother who feels like she has no voice. Good morning, Drea. I think it's what you go by. I'm so excited to yes. you know, get to hear your Good story morning. and share it. How are you today? Good. How are you? Great. Great. So, you know, as we, you know, prepare to dive in, I like to start off with the practical, you know, food questions. And when you have, you know, three children that you're a husband that you're trying to feed, what are some <laughs> of the things that you go to as your go-to meals, especially as we've so, been dealing with this pandemic for so long? Yes, honestly. So with my kids, I really try to do a lot of finger foods that we can kind of grab and go. So we do a lot of like chicken nuggets and pizza rolls and corn dogs. Like they really love those kind of things that are kind of quick or easy meals. Yeah. Um, as far as me and my husband go, we also try to do the quick and easy meals because we have <laughs> three children at home who require a lot of our time and our energy. And so we try to do, I've been looking at more crock pot recipes. And so cooking yeah. a lot of foods like in the crock pot that are easier. And we don't do a whole lot of fried food. We do mostly baked foods. So while it's baking, I have more time to sit and play with the girls. So that kind of gives me I'm a little advantage in doing that. Right. My children, they love those finger foods. Love them. Right, right. Yeah, they're they're definitely, you know, a quick go-to. And I, I do like yes. that idea, you know, of baking and the crock pots, the ways that we yes. can get some of those, yeah, some of the healthier meals prepared, you know, do yes. lend themselves to multitasking or, you know. It does. And my girls forget love it. to help. My girls love to help cook with me. So I let them, you oh, know, good. help me season the meat and, you yes. know, we'll do that together. So yes. they really enjoy being a part of the process. I'll put in the oven. I'll go and check and look in the oven, see if the light's still on and check yeah. the food. So they love to cook with me. So it's fun doing yes. with them. Yes. I, I'm so glad you mentioned that because that is a really important, I think, aspect of raising, you know, children who are comfortable in the kitchen, who are comfortable yes. trying new foods and eating new mm -hmm. foods, eating healthier foods. We know yes. the research is really strong about including kids early and often, like you said, in the process. And it's time yes. with mom, right? It's time with dad. It's time. It is. Know, that's great. Bonding. And it kind of keeps them occupied too. So instead of me trying to figure out what to do with them while I'm cooking, if I just include them in on the process, exactly. I no longer am worried about what are they doing because they're right there with me, you know, in the mix. And so I love that. Exactly. I love it. I love it. And we do tend to want to just do it fast. And so what are, you know, if we can just get them out of the way, right, we think, okay, we'll just be faster. <laughs> but you know, yes. that often, you know, means another missed opportunity when we're busy and we're, exactly. you know, trying to look for opportunities to be with our children. So yes. I think that's a great, great point that you raised. Yes. And I, I too like to be in the kitchen with my girls. So. <laughs> good, good. So why don't you you know, tell us a little bit about yourself, you know, in your own words. So I am 26. I forget how old I am already. <laughs> 26 <laughs> years old. And I live in, uh, I live in Belleville, Illinois, actually, but I teach over in St. Louis. I teach at an at-risk elementary school. Um, so I work with inner city children. I absolutely love, love, love doing that because I just love making a difference. And what I've learned is that a lot of times I am the only sunlight that a lot of these children will see. A lot of my kids live in shelters. They go home to no food. So I'm the person that gets to feed them and send food home with them. I'm the person that changes their clothes and they come to school in the morning because they may come in the same clothes they had on yesterday. I'm the person that, you know, will give them hugs when they're sad and crying. So I really love just working with especially the small children. I like to catch them while they're young. If you can make a difference while they're young, then yeah. the amazing, amazing things they will do when they get older is just out of this world. My 
first class I taught is now in third grade and they still come back. I wish you were my teacher, Miss Taylor. I wish you were my teacher, Miss Taylor. And so I just know that truly have impacted their lives. Children's lives. That really just melts my heart. So I really love doing that. I am a writer. I have written one chapter book, Like a Rose of Thorns, and that tells my story of child loss. And then I wrote my first children's book. And it's called I Have a Little Sister. And it's from the perspective of my oldest daughter, Rylan, and things that she's kind of experienced in her journey of child loss. And then I just published my second children's book this month in honor of Pregnancy and Infant Loss Awareness Month. It's called When Our Feelings Are in Pieces. And that's a book about Rylan and Jacelyn, which will eventually be a series. But I mean, it talks about the different emotions that children feel whenever they lose someone that they love. Mm-hmm. And so I love to write. Writing is very therapeutic for me. So I enjoy writing. I love to sing and dance and shop and everything else. So <laughs> that's me. <laughs> that, yeah, that is incredible. That is incredible. And you've already started, you know, talking about how you impact children, you know, inside and outside of your home. I think that's uh, incredible. You know, when we get to be, you almost sound like another mother for a lot of the children. In that's honestly class. what it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Especially when the family system is struggling, you know, uh-huh. to, and, and, you know, their mothers are likely struggling to, you know, connect all the, the pieces of maybe yes. work and making enough money to provide that uh-huh. housing and the food. So that's that, it. That's incredible when you can step in there and be, you know, almost like a, a partner to that mom who needs. Yes, we definitely <laughs> are a family in my room. Definitely are a family. Yeah, yeah. that's that's wonderful. And then tell me about the impact you make on the children in your home and how you how you see your role as a mother. So my role as a mother, I think, changes with every child. Honestly, now that I have three and an angel baby, I think that honestly, my role for them is just showing them what it means to be strong, even when you feel like you have no strength. Because that's literally what I have been doing lately, just in the season of dealing with child loss. I've just learned so much about myself through having children and through losing children. So I would say that my rainbow baby, Eden, the one I just had in May, she has taught me that it is possible to love after loss. And so even you feel like there's nothing left in you to give to another person, here comes this person that shows that you're still capable of loving. You're still capable of being that amazing mother that you want to be, that you can be, that you are. My oldest daughter, Rylan, she has taught me Oh my gosh. So her personality, she's just so strong-willed and very, I know it all. I can do it all. So she has taught me that, I don't, I can't even put it into words, but just her tenacity and her willing to just go for it. I love that about her. So she had just taught me it's okay to just keep going and to let children be who they want to be and don't try to change anything about them because a lot of people try to tell me to tame her, or reel her in, but I'm like, no, she's a leader. She, she's, she's a leader. And so I'm going to teach her to use those same qualities that she has to change, change the world. So I don't want to change anything about her at all. My Jacelyn, well, that's my daredevil child. That's mine. I'm going to try everything and just get into everything. <laughs> and so she has taught me that children are just going to be children. You just have to take them how they are, like it or love it their kids. And so she just, she's really that firecracker to the family. So I really enjoy that about her. So beautiful, beautiful. Did you always want to be a mom? 
Yes. So actually, when I was in kindergarten, I said that I wanted 17 children. <laughs> uh, mine has definitely changed now. Right. <laughs> I definitely do not want 17. <laughs> but I guess with my students and then my kids at home, I do kind of have like 17 That's kids. True. But That's true. No, I have always wanted to be a mom. I loved, I just love, love babies, love kids. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. And is motherhood what you thought it would be? Not at all. Not at all. So I think of motherhood like what you see on TV, and it is definitely not that at all. I was not prepared for the long nights of waking up and crying. I was not prepared for the money that children cost and the clothing and the diapers and the formula. Oh, my goodness. They are expensive little creatures. (laughs) But I will say that it is what I expect it to be in the sense of just loving another person and that person allowing you to love them. I will say that it definitely that is what I wanted from motherhood. And that is definitely what my children have given me. It's just this amazing sense of just love and gratitude. And so I will say that that definitely is what I expected to be. And they fulfilled that most definitely. Yeah. And I think it's also evolving, right? That, you know, what what motherhood has been so far, like you said, changes, not only on the child and what they need and what they bring, but also on the season. And what the yes. season, you know, holds for, for them, yes. the, the family. Yeah. So, you know, why don't you tell us a little bit about the story that led you to Like a Rose? So Halloween 2018, I went to the doctor just for a normal, regular doctor's deployment checkup. Even before then, I had noticed that she wasn't moving a whole lot, but I'm thinking, you know, I'm 32 weeks pregnant. They tell you babies run out of room, you know, so she's moving to slow down, you know, whatever. So I went to the doctor and I was explaining to her my situation. So she checked on the Doppler for a heartbeat and she checked and she checked and she checked. And then I got those five words that no mother wants to hear. I'm sorry, there's no heartbeat. And so she sent me to the hospital to kind of confirm to make sure that she wasn't missing anything. So they put me on the ultrasound and For the first time in my life as a mother, I saw a baby in the womb, but there was no movement. The heart monitor usually goes like up and down and it was just a straight line. And I never, I knew that babies could die, but I never imagined myself, you know, in that situation. And so I spent the night in the hospital and then November 1st, 2018, I delivered my daughter, Adeline Rose. And like I said, she was born sleeping. She was a stillborn baby at 32 weeks. She was three pounds, four ounces. Really cute baby. Head full of hair, looked just like her sister. So we spent the day in the hospital with her. And so that's kind of my story, long story short, of child loss. But after Adeline, I went through a very just depressing time dealing with anxiety and just depression. And I eventually went to counseling. And counseling kind of helped me to learn to try to make a more positive aspect of my story of child loss. And so the more I got to thinking about Adeline and just what could I do to make this easier or, you know, better for me, I started thinking about a rose and how roses have thorns and those thorns are very hurtful, but without those thorns, the rose can't survive. And so we, as people, we are like roses and we all have those thorns, those things that hurt us. For me, it was child loss for you, maybe a job loss or your car broke down or, you know, a divorce, whatever it may be, that's your thorn. But we have to go through those things in order to grow and to bloom into the people, into the mothers, the fathers, the aunts, uncles, grandparents, you know, whoever it is that we were called to be. And so that is where Like a Rose came from. 
Adeline Rowe was her middle name. I kind of took that and just went with it. <laughs> you bloomed with it for sure. And yes. Yeah, I wish podcasts, you know, you could see behind you are just these beautiful red roses yes. <laughs> that are, are so lovely. Yeah, yeah. And I think we're hearing more about, you know, infant loss, mm-hmm. miscarriage. I think women are feeling like we can talk more about yes. uh, these losses that are actually more common than yes. I think any of us realize because it has been something that, you know, hasn't been talked about, you know, nearly enough. Exactly. And I think in the, the past it was, okay, well, it happens, just, you know, bury it and move on it, kind of yep. an approach. But I think now we're realizing that there's so much more to that when you, like you, can can turn the thorn and the pain of that loss into a beautiful hope for yourself, but for other mothers. Yes. And what I've noticed is that a lot of mothers who don't talk about it are the ones who seem to struggle the worst and they wish that they would have later on. And so I have a mentor actually who kind of mentored me. She lost her daughter 17 years ago. Well. November 13th will be 17 years ago. And she always encourages me to, to have those hard conversations. And she said, never make yourself uncomfortable to make someone else comfortable. Yeah. And so if you want to tell me that you have four daughters, you say that. And if it makes them uncomfortable, you know, that's, that's on them. But don't make yourself uncomfortable and hold out before the comfortability of other people. So I really, I take that in consideration when I think about Like a Rose and think about having these conversations that I don't want mothers to feel like they don't have a voice. And so if I can speak for you, you know, I would most definitely do that. I get inboxes and text messages all the time. Of, Thank you for sharing your story. I'm not ready to tell mine yet, but just listening to you gives me courage, gives me hope, you know? And so I really just enjoy, you know, being that for other people. Yeah, that's beautiful. Because, you know, we all learn from other moms. And I think that's a big part yes. of, you know, this platform. So I'm really glad to be able to, you know, share your story. And I think you've written about it in mm-hmm. your first book. Tell us a yes. little bit about that. So I wrote about it's called Like a Rose, the Thorns. And so each chapter just kind of goes through a different point of where I was in my walk. And so I talk about, you know, the problems that I had. Well, first is chapter is called, um, What Do I Know? And that talks about the struggles that I had of feeling like I don't know anything about her because I never got a chance to learn her. All I know is her name and how much she weighed. You know, I don't know what her personality was like. I don't know anything else, you know, outside of the simple things. So I'm going to talk about that. I talk about how my relationship with God kind of went backwards a lot after childbirth. I talk about the difficulties that I had with people in my family, from my marriage to my parents and all the struggles that I had with that. So it really just covers just all the aspects of emotions and things that I felt I never intended for it to be a book. I actually took my journals Mm, and turned my journals into my book. So it was never intended to be a book, but someone said, you need to tell your story. And so Wow. That's what I did. Wow. And I, I think that raises, you know, the the point about journaling as yes. a powerful tool that we all have, you know, access yes. to whether we're writing, you know, down what's happening or drawing or a combination, right? Right. Putting down songs or just jotting down notes. I Anything. Think that's, yeah. I think that's a great reminder that no matter what we're going through, even, yeah, even the joyful seasons, you know, a journal can be that that incredible place 
to capture, you know, what you're going through. And then when you look back, I think that's one of the things that's been interesting and looking some about, you know, back to my college journals or (laughs) young adulthood. It's like, oh, wow, I remember going through that and now look at where I am, you know. And how far you've come. And most of them I read, even when I was writing the book. So it was funny because I started writing and I just put it down for a while and I tried to write it again, but it was hard because I wasn't in that place anymore. I was reading back my journal. I'm like, I don't feel that way anymore. I'm not, you know, that girl anymore. And so I had to bring myself back to that pain for a moment, but it just amazes me how far I have grown from that date of that journal. And, you know, so just the growth that you see in yourself when you're writing is just amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's a a great also, yeah, self-care kind of point or tip, especially around the mental health, because you, you know, brought that up as Uh well, that we sometimes are overwhelmed with the emotions that we're going through, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's because of, you know, infant loss or, you know, life or, you know, whatever is going, whatever pain yeah. or, or struggle. And so it, you know, as we care for ourselves, possibly, you know, through writing and taking that time to reflect, taking that time to process, yes, it can be so healing, so therapeutic, yes, uh, you know, to and have it's oftentimes, I, I think, because a lot of times I don't necessarily have the words but it's amazing what happens whenever you put pen to paper, how much I thought I didn't have to say, but I'm just writing and writing. And I'm like, well, wow, this lot just came out of me in, in two minutes. You know? But my therapist actually recommended, she said, if you can't speak it, just write it down. And so that's what um, I really have done because talking is hard with me to communicate, but even with my husband, even with her, sometimes I just have to write it and let them read it. And then I'm able to, you know, have that conversation. And so, yes. And I, you know, I noticed that you're also, you know, pretty creative when it comes to, you know, dancing and uh, (laughs) piano. Do you find that your arts, you know, allow you to also process and express some of the emotions? They definitely do. So I do write songs. I've written a few songs um, about her and not only that, but with, Right on my first daughter, um, I wrote a song just while she was in the womb. And so I would sing that song to her. And now even when she falls asleep, we sing that same song that I wrote almost five years ago. And so definitely arts do help me. I love to color. So sometimes even sitting in my therapy sessions, I'll have my adult coloring book. And I just sit there and color because it helps me to just calm myself and to, you know, process things. When I'm feeling like I get really anxious or anxiety, I turn on my music and I listen to that. And I'll sit there and color all journal. So definitely the arts have been very helpful for me, even when dealing with my children outside of just child loss, but with my living children, I feel like, oh, it's just so much chaos going on. Uh, so we're going to turn on music and we're all going to dance. And so we'll turn on Jojo Siwa and we're just up and moving yeah. and we're dancing Dance and they go to sleep. Time. I turn on the meditation music, you know, so I use it with my kids, my kids too, yeah. as well. Yeah. Yeah. That's so great. That's so great. And then you started to write down a children's book or write down um, or, you know, create a way, yes. you know, based on their story for healing. Yes. Yes. So I have a little sister. So my oldest daughter, Ryland, she remembers being in the hospital with her sister. She remembers all of that. And she just says the funniest things about, you know, her little sister. And she'll say like, you know, I want to get a ladder. I'm going to clap to the sky. I'm going to get her down from there. Or I took her to the grave and she's like, I'm going to pull her out of the box. I'm going to take her out of the box. And so we had to have a whole conversation on you can't dig up the ground. You have to leave her inside of the box. But in her mind, she's just Uh trying to rationalize it all. So I wrote a little a book called I Have a Little Sister. And like the first page says, I have a little sister who lives in the sky. I wonder how she got there. Maybe she can fly. Or maybe she climbed up a ladder that was big and tall. I wish I could climb up there with her, but I'm afraid I'd fall. And so I just goes on and just talks about all the different things that she has said about having um, a little sister. And it's a fun book because on each page, there's a hiding baby. 
And so the kids have to look on the book and try to find the hiding angel baby on each page. So I try to make a little bit creative, you know, for the kids to enjoy as well. So I love it. And she gets to sign all the books and send them out. So she loves being a part of of that that process. process. Yeah. And the second book? And the second book is called When My Feelings Are in Pieces. So that book came to me because now that Eden is here, they have been asking a lot more questions and feeling a lot different than they did before Eden got here. And I think in their minds, Eden, they see her. So I was pregnant with her. They see her and she's here every day, but Adeline, they don't see her anymore. So they're wondering like, well, there's this baby, where's the other baby go? And so I was talking to my therapist. I'm like, I'm just out of things to tell them. Like, I don't know how to help them feel. Like, I don't know what else to do. And so again, the arts helped me. So I started thinking about all the things that I felt and then compared to all the ways that they have felt and have things that they have vocalized to me. And so I wrote a book called When I Feelings Are in Pieces. And every page goes through just the different emotions. Like today I feel broken. Today I feel happy. Today I feel excited, sad, strong. It just goes through a lot of different emotions. So this book is not necessarily about losing a sibling. I do add in little tidbits about their sister on some of the pages, but this book is about losing anyone because I think that when you lose someone, a lot of the feelings are the same. Everyone feels sad, whether you lost a mother, a brother, a sister, a cousin, you know, you feel broken, you feel lost. And so I really wanted to make this book kind of universal for anyone or any child who has lost anyone in their life. So that's where that book came from. Nice. And I think this, you know, brings up the good point about children and how they cope with loss. And I think, you know, growing up or maybe in past generations, you know, we kind of thought, well, they won't remember. So it must not, you know, must not impact them, you know, when there's a major loss or when there's a major, you know, change in their lives or grief or trauma, Mm -hmm. especially. But I think, you know, we know now that it, you know, they absolutely do remember and pre-verbal children, you know, they don't, even if they don't have words yet, especially there, you know, there's imprints that happen in the memory um, that they may not be able to put words to but are still there. And so I think that's, yes. yeah, I think it's incredible that you've, you know, acknowledged your children's journey, their, their emotional needs and their mm-hmm. mental health, and that you've created this way, not only for them, but for children, you know, as a whole to be able yes. to have some support or have some ways of processing grief and loss, which children yes. absolutely do. I always encourage them to have that conversation because uh, matter of fact, the other day, someone asked me, why did you let them meet their sister? Why would you expose them you know, to that? And so for me, I said, well, at the end of the day, that's my baby living or non-living. That's their sister living or non-living. And so I never want to have robbed them of the experience of not knowing who she was. And so they love talking about her. And as long as they want to talk about it, I will continue to have the conversation you know, with them. We're in the car driving. They the sunset is pink. And so there's my sister. She's in the sky, mommy. Or my, my oldest daughter remembers that there are flowers on top of her grave. So when she sees flowers, she's digging through the flowers. Where's my sister? So she doesn't necessarily know. But like you said, she has those memories or those things that take her back to certain events. And so she sees flowers. So she associates that with her sister's grave. And so she looks for her sister. We go to the hospitals. She's running around the hospital. Adeline, where are you? Where are you? You know, so yeah. I always encourage them to talk about it. Even in school, the teacher asked her to go look at the sky and check the weather. She comes back and says, I saw my sister in the clouds. <laughs> yeah. <You know>? and so, <laughs> but again, I never stop her from doing that because that's her right. way of process. That's her way of grieving. And so I just right. let it be 
you know what it is and try to roll with the punches as I can. Sure, sure. And I, you know, I think that's beautiful. And I definitely encourage, you know, the families that I work with to, you know, in the in the clinic setting to remember that children do have very real feelings and just as the adult or the parent is going through, you know, whatever situation they are, so are the children in their own way. And like you said, it it may not be, it may not look like the grownups, you know, how they're processing it, but because they have, yeah, the the fantasy, the magical thinking, you know, they, they're (laughs) integrating, right. All of that. And, and what's real, what's, you know, what's not real, what's, you know, temporary, what's permanent. Right. Yeah. You know, all of these concepts are evolving in young children. And so most definitely. Yeah, I think that's amazing that, you know, you found a way to not only support your own children, but put it down in writing and, you know, coloring and all of that so that other children yeah. can benefit from it. And I'll yes. definitely have links to, you know, your books and your organization for the listeners yes. who want to, you know, access those resources. Yeah. So as we, you know, speaking of kind of children and important things that they're learning, you know, how do you help children with empathy and learning, you know, especially with all that's gone on in the world around race, around health, you know, around the pandemic, the, even the environment is brought in with, you know, as we're sorting mm-hmm. through, you know, how this came to be and then, you know, fires and hurricanes. And I mean, there's just, there's so many things going on for, you know, children and you work, you know, with kindergartners and you work you know, you have your own young children. So how do you, you know, help them sort through some of these, these, these bigger concepts, right? And, and specifically empathy and how we treat one another. So honestly, well, I'll start with my children at home. With my children at home, I tell my oldest daughter her job is to protect her sisters. And so when she's being mean, I'll say, what's your job? And she's like, to protect them. And I said, okay, if you're being mean to them, are you protecting them? Or are you hurting them? She said, I'm hurting them. And I said, okay, so then you're not doing your job. And so I always teach my girls that you don't let anyone else mess with each other or with you, but you also don't do that to each other because at the end that you may be the only people that you have left. And so it is very important that you understand that you are sisters. You will not always get along. You may not always want to share. There's something that she will get that you may not get. There's something that she will get that you may not get. But at the end of the day, you know, you're family. And so we have to stay together. And so that's really what I teach them is that our job is to protect each other. And if yeah. we are doing things that are hurting each other, then we are no longer doing our jobs as a family, as a mother, as a sister, you know, and all that. So that's really why I instill in them is just to protect each other. With my class, I kind of follow that same motto. So my theme for my classroom is Taylor's Tiny Kingdom. And so mm-hmm. I call them kings and queens. So mm-hmm. every morning we do our morning mantra and I tell them that they are kings. You're beautiful. You're intelligent. You are smart. You are amazing. And to go through all these things. So I really want to build them up as people. Like I said, while they're young, because if I can catch them while they're young, that they know they can make a difference in this world. Then when they're 13, 14, 15, 6, and they remember that, well, rewind. At the end of the, the thing, I tell them, even if the whole world tries to tell you different, they'll say, you'll never believe it. So I said, someone calls you ugly, what are you going to say? I'll never believe it. Someone calls you stupid, what are you going to say? I'll never believe it. Because if I can catch them while they're young, then they can know that they have a difference, that they can make a difference, despite of going home to no food, despite of, you know, mom working four and five jobs just to keep lights on in the house, despite of, you know, wearing the same clothes every day. I also teach them the same kinds that we are a family. And so if little Susie comes to school the next day in clothes, we don't laugh at her. We offer her our coats or we offer her, 
you know, our extra whatever that we have. We don't tease anyone. We are a family in this room. And so no one is better than the next person. And so I really just instill just that family mindset, even in my classroom, that we are all in this, you know, together. We have to love each other. And so luckily this year, I have the same kids that I had last year. And so oh. it's beautiful in that, yes, I get to keep them all the way to fifth grade. I'm looping with them every year. So okay. I'm lucky in that they were a family last year. Now here we are again, creating that same, you know, family atmosphere. But with everything going on with the virus and just being out of school, that was very hard for a lot of my students. So a lot of them FaceTime me all the time. They would send me pictures. I lost my first tooth, Miss Taylor. So they would just keep me updated and you know, I also started a Facebook page for us where I would get on there and I would go live. So I'd get to watch me teach them different things during the pandemic. I did a socially distanced graduation in the summertime because a lot of them were sad they didn't get to have a graduation. So I met them at the park and we had a graduation at the park. And so I did that to try to keep some sense of normalcy because I know this virus has affected, like you said, not only just adults, but children are going through it as well. With my daughter at home, I noticed that she was just having a lot of behavioral issues I didn't know her, you know, peeing on herself and crying. And I'm like, what in the world is going on? But my therapist told me, she said, we just remember that her world has shifted just like yours has. But again, you may, you may have the words because you're an adult. She doesn't have those words. So her way of dealing with it is crying at night, not wanting to go to bed or peeing on herself, you know, whatever it is. And so I had to learn, just take a step back. And again, like you said, show that empathy and learn the whole situation versus just getting angry so quickly, trying to figure out what is actually going on. And once I realized what was actually going on, I was able to be a lot more calmer and more, you know, controlled with her. And I think that she sends that because finally, when I stopped being so like, what are you doing? One day she said, mommy, I wish you could just take me to school and pick me up like you used to. She had those words. And so I think that just as people, we learned to just take a step back, and just really assess the whole child, assess the whole person before we just judge them or label them as a bad kid or as that kid who never turns in his homework or, you know, as that girl who just is always moody. If we take a step back and just analyze really what is going on at home, what's going on in their minds, what's going on in their hearts and really show that empathy towards them, you, your whole mindset and outlook will just, it'll just change. change it yeah. did for me at least. Yeah. I mean, you're bringing tears to my eyes as, you know, we talk about children and laying that foundation of who they are, their identity as kings and, you know, queens, you know, even when yes. they're, like you said, going home, you know, to a shelter and no food and no clothes. And so you, you know, are just laying this incredible foundation of identity, you know, for, yes. for that they can build their lives on. And you, you know, hit it right on the head when it comes to behavior. You know, I as a kind of a behavior specialist with children, look at behavior as communication. You know, we often, like you said, are quick to interpret, you know, what children are doing, you know, through our adult lens. And instead of pausing and really looking at behavior as a way of expression and then communicating Mm -hmm. what is really going on with the child. And so that's a powerful way of helping when we're dealing with our own children or in the classroom, if, you know, for a teacher with other children is like you said, to not be so quick to judge, you know, or think that the child is doing X to get, you know, us upset or to, you know, right. us, right. Cause we right. want to make it about us. But when we really stop and listen to the behavior as 
a form of expression and communication, then we can address it in a way, like you said, with empathy and with grace and with understanding and nurturing and Most have definitely. a much better outcome than if we're just yes. going straight in and, and, you know, disciplining or punishing. Yes. Because right? for me, it was really hard. Because So I grew up in a predominantly white community. And so I definitely was like the richest kid, but we had a very good life. And so going from that to working in an all African-American community and the kids would come to school and they, like I said, no same clothes or the homework not being turned and they don't know how to do. And I was just like, what in the world is like, what do you mean your mom didn't feed you dinner? Like, what do you mean you have this? Like, I was just mind blown. Like, what kind of parenting is this? this? But I had to take a step back and I'm like, okay, Drea, look, like this mom didn't do the homework because she's working three jobs just so they can keep their lights on. Or, you know, big brother is getting him dressed because, you know, the parents may be sleeping because they just got off work. So I had to really take a step back and just culturally analyze like how I grew up and then how these babies and what their lives are like and not be so quick to judge. I had a mom from it. I got a new job. I got a new job. I'm like, oh, really? What'd you get it at? I got a Jack in the Box. She was so excited to be working at Jack in the Box. For me, I'm like, well, what in the world? Like, who wants to work fast food? But then I'm like, take that step back. For her, she may not have ever had a job in her life. So, so to finally get hired, that's an amazing accomplishment. So I had to take a step back. I'm like, now I can congratulate you because I see, you know, what that did for you and your family. And so I think culturally too, we sometimes have to just remind ourselves that everyone does not have the same luxuries and have the same privileges that we have as people. That's right. And that remembering that, yeah, kicks should kick in the empathy even higher, Mm -hmm. even more. Um, yes, because you know we could very easily be that other woman or be that other mom, right? Like yes, you know, there's like you said, nobody's better than anybody else. You know, we, nope. you know, we, we, we could in a you know in a snap be in that situation. And I think a lot has come up with the pandemic, where you know jobs that just we can't count it on are no longer there, and in, in a matter right. of you know days, Most definitely. And so people who may have never struggled in that way are are struggling with you know food insecurity mm-hmm. housing insecurity you know all all of the you know things that we in some ways could count on before um, mm-hmm. the families can't count on in the same way yes so that's that's a you know important you know reminder to reach out and like you said if if, if somebody's struggling or if somebody needs something you know what can we do to help mm-hmm. you know that that mom or to help that child because often we we always have something that we can give. We always have something that we can always. share. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, no matter what our means. Yeah. So as we're winding down, you know, I see you as a mom changing the world, you know, using your voice as a mother, speaking for the voiceless, teaching our youngest, you know, most vulnerable children, a nonprofit, you know, CEO or leader, uh, founder. You also do business uh, and, you know, jewelry sales. How do you create balance and find joy? you know, and all that you are juggling? So honestly, I try to intertwine everything together so that it kind of just flows. But as far as balance goes, I have to almost prioritize, you know, my day and what's important for me to do today and what things can wait until tomorrow. And so, of course, going to work is an option. So that's that's my number one (laughs) priority. But even with that, when I get off of work, I always try to find moments to spend with my children first because they have not seen me all day long. And so I try to whether it's just 10 minutes of playing with Legos or telling about your day or let's color, let's go outside. You know, I always try to find those moments when I get off work to spend with them. And my husband, we get off at the same time. So we're all as a family, you know, just doing that together. Rejoining. And then, you know, nighttime, 
I'm very big on a schedule and a routine. And that seems to help me balance everything when we have that schedule. So once they are off to bed, I'll use that time to write. I'll use that time to do my jewelry. I'll use that time to, you know, have that me time or us time, whatever I need. But honestly, I try to intertwine everything together. So even with my nonprofit, Like Your Rose, my jewelry business, I also call Like Your Rose. And so I'm selling my jewelry. Each piece is Rose 1, Rose 2, Rose 3. So they all kind of intertwine together. My children go live with me a lot of the time. So they're in the video with me, selling jewelry right along with me. Um, so like I said, I try to blend Learning. it all together so I can have that balance. So we're spending time together while I'm also doing my business. So they don't know that they're working with me, you know, but we're <laughs> we're all in it together. So like I said, prioritizing and I wake up every day and say, what's important today? And what can wait until tomorrow? And so even at nighttime, I find that I'm just super tired. I'm just going to go live the next day. I'm just going to do whatever I, I, you know, the next day I can push it off to the next day. So that's really how I try to prioritize is just to figure what's important right now. And that took me a while to learn. My therapist told me that I make everything a 911 and something that just a trip to the urgent care. So I'm really working <laughs> on learning like what are my 911s and what are things I can just put a bandaid on and, and be okay, you know, for now. But that's how I've learned how to do it is just really incorporating it all together and making it one big old thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, wherever we can, you know, bring our children into the things mm-hmm. that we are passionate about, you know, I think teaches them so much. They get to see, you know, us, you know, in in our zone. They get to, you know, mm-hmm. learn from watching us, you know, do what we do. And yeah. it, like, you know, like we talked about earlier, it's planting those seeds and making those imprints while they're yes. young and helping them feel like they're a part of it as well. I have to say, I remember, you know, growing up, my mom would sell Avon. And Uh so, you know, I think out of practicality and just, you know, kind of for the time, like, you know, we would all go out and put the the little magazines that you put in the plastic bag and you could (laughs) sleep on the door. And so we would all, you know, hit the hit the pavements, putting out the Avon books. And so, you know, I remember, you know, I mean, that just taught me about, you know, hard work and that, you know, this this was like a family, you know, business. It did. My mom, my mom has a home daycare and she's also a foster parent. And so I think a lot of my love for children and babies is it came from my mom because from an early age, I was learning how to change diapers and how to make easy meals for daycare kids to just be on the go. So I was learning how to do all those things. And then she's a foster parent. So she has a lot of grace with children. And she, again, has to learn the whole child to assess that they're not just a bad kid, but they came from a home that was broken. And so I think I've learned a lot just from my mother intentionally and some things unintentionally. So I want to be that same thing, you know, for my girls. Yes. Yes. And as they say, a lot of, you know, behavior is caught, you know, not taught. And so, mm-hmm. you know, our, our kid children are kind of catching, you know, a lot from us. Like yes. you said, whether, you know, we're, you know, we're planning it or not, but <laughs> by, uh, yeah, by kind of putting, uh, putting our best forward, taking each moment yes. as precious because it's, it's really fleeting. And, you know, I, miss some of those younger years you know when my little ones were were smaller now that they're a little bit older right (laughs) it's it just seems like it went by so fast so yes seize those moments yeah to you know just enjoy your children and you know thank you for the great work that you do you know no problem problem. yeah Yeah, st louis missouri is where my husband is from so i you know we we tend to go about <laughs> at least once a year. So I have a, a different fondness for that part of the country. Yes, so. I love the city. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Good. So why don't you tell us how we can get, you know, a hold of you or 
find out more about how we can donate or be a part of the work that you're doing? Awesome. Okay. So as far as finding me right now, you all can find me on Facebook, like a rose dash Adeline Rose. I'm on Instagram, like a rose AR on Instagram. So that is where you will find me. My website will be like a rose AR.com. Email me at like a rose AR gmail.com. So if you type in like a rose, I'm guaranteeing that I will probably be the first thing. <laughs> that comes up. First thing, yes, to pop up. My books are on Amazon. So you can find me on Amazon or you can order directly from me at any of those sites that I just gave you above. Ordering directly from you will get you the autographed copy from my daughters or from me as well. So it's a little perk of ordering directly from me versus off of Amazon. So that's where I am. Oh, that's wonderful. And yeah, as a closing, you're reminding me of... Uh, Sometimes as a family, we like to talk about our day, you know, talk about the rose in your day, talk about the thorn in your day and talk Mm -hmm. about the bud. And so I know even the Obamas would do this as a family sometimes, you know, the rose being, you know, the bright spot, the positive of your day, the thorn being, you know, the challenge or the hard part of the day. And then the bud Mm -hmm. being the the promise, the hope of the of the day. And so I really I love that. Yeah. Yeah, good. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Moms Changing the World with host Akua Walker. The information shared on this show is meant for educational purposes only and not intended as a substitute for medical intervention or professional therapy. All views shared on the show are that of the speakers only and do not represent any institution. To be a part of the community, visit www.momschangingtheworld.org. There you'll find ways to connect with and support the moms we interview. Join us next time for more encouragement and support to be a mom changing the world, one child at a time, one day at a time. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. Thanks for listening.